jump into the leadership game. Rise to the challenge and apply to become a DKM first-timer or a J.P. Morgan Chase Fellow. This is an exciting experience that will take your leadership skills to a new level. You'll learn from ACB passionate leaders and mentors. You continue your leadership journey. Don't delay. Apply today. For more information, please visit https slash slash www.acb.org slash 2023 first timers or contact Kenneth Simeon Sr. at simeon.k at outlook.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. My name is Paul Edwards and my co-host Brian Charlson is here. Hey, Brian. Hey there, again. Uh, another Tuesday, another yeah. important topic, I think. The Yeah, the end of March. That's better yeah. than the Ides of March, right? Yeah, no, we, we did that already. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying isn't the end of March better than the Ides of March? It is. It is. It is. Thank you. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. 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 Like like that. Yeah. We, you're correct. We put away the snow shovels yeah. in New England, so we are looking forward to spring. Ah, excellent! And uh, our hand raising expert is with us, Miss Marianne. How are you? I'm okay, Paul. Another yep. Tuesday topics. My favorite day. Thank you. Mine too. And uh, our streamer, Mr. Larry Gassman, is here. I am. Excellent, sir. How exciting. And <laughs> the, uh, the, the irreplaceable star of the show and boss of us all, Mr. Dave, Rick Moore. David hey, Trot. Rick. David Trot. <laughs> That's right. He's our guest of honor, um, yeah. and that is Mr. David Trot. Hey, David. Hey, I'm trying to figure out how I fit in. It says that uh, we don't express the views of our staff and officers and port members. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I fit in here. Yet. Think, you better, think you better just be quiet is what you better be. <laughs> this ought to make for an exciting show. Yeah. <laughs> so um, at the recent in-person meeting of ACB, David was the leader of one of the segments, um, and it led us to invite him to be with us today to kind of talk about membership and to talk about money. We, we, we get him to talk about money because he is actually, at the current time, ACB's treasurer. But I think this is his last term as treasurer, is it not, David? It is. I term out this year. Yeah. Yeah, so... So he wants, before he goes as treasurer, to tell us all about how the next person ought to do it, which is a good thing, because um, it's a complicated job. I know I wouldn't have wanted to be ACB's treasurer, but Brian, Brian you were treasurer, were you not? I was treasurer for six years with Leroy Saunders as president at the time. Right, right. Wow, that was... That was interesting, and 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 so you had Jim, was an interesting Jim time. Olson. Yep. yep, Jim Olson was there as the mm -hmm. uh, financial guy on staff, and thank mm -hmm. goodness he was because it was a rough time. 
financially for ACB. It was. I remember that. We made it through it. We made it through it. We were talking about uh, other people who had been treasurer over time as well. Uh, We mentioned Pat Beatty last week, and she served uh, a while in that role as well. Yep, she did. It's not an easy one, is it, David? <laughs> no, it's not. And then, you know, we had Carla Rushable, who yes. served. It. And, and she also served through a difficult time. Yes. You actually have been pretty lucky during your six years. I don't mean to suggest it's all luck, but. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to take credit for it, even though it was somebody else. But, <laughs> but um, hey, you, you get the blame if it isn't yours. You might as well take there the you credit, go. too. <laughs> you, you take it when you can get it, don't you, Brian? <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, David, maybe we could start by by your telling us what, what was the idea behind putting together some of these focus groups at the in-person meeting? Well, I, I think... Uh, a few years ago, uh, Dan and myself and several others were talking about membership involvement, and it kind of went by the way. And and when I say this this way, I don't mean it in a negative way, but, you know, we, we give question and answer opportunities throughout, but we're usually um, more or less given directions on the legislative impairments and that kind of thing. And this year, it was an exciting time because we gave people the opportunity to really become involved with uh, segments that took place that were totally theirs. You know, they, uh, we didn't really, we, we did a brief intro and then we took questions or let people just make comments, say what was on their mind about the particular topic. And I, I, th- I really think that involving our membership more uh, they spend their money to come or their affiliate spends the money for them to come. And we really need, and we, and we learn a lot. Uh, you know, Paul, you were in there. We, we really learned a lot of things about the different areas as far as membership and, and how people perceive it and how they perceive their role. And I think that was good. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what some of the things that you think we learned. Well, you know, one of the things that we learned that really bothered me was it was a positive comment, but it it really made me think about uh, the different roles of people in ACB and how they perceive their role in ACB. Mm-hmm. When people were getting ready to do their AMMS, which is the database that we use to collect membership data, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, that type of thing, some of the local secretaries or i think she said she was a secretary you know we're calling their members to get some of this pertinent information that we needed and they said why do you need that uh you know we don't do enough of patting ourselves on the back so a lot of times at the local level uh like for example talladega alabama which is where i'm at uh, they don't talk at the local meetings much about the national or what the national is doing. And uh, they don't really let them know that, hey, you you have a ownership, uh, ownership of this. You bought into this when you, when you paid your membership. And we really need to get that message across. But most of the message that we need to get across is the great things that we're doing in ACB and how we do it to not just benefit our membership, 
but the blindness uh, situation as a whole, you know, like uh, the work that we've done with Microsoft, uh, a lot of Amazon, the different ones. Brian's been involved with a lot of this work, especially, I think, with Amazon that, that has happened over the years. And these things are so important. But, you know, a lot of times you're in this little pond and, and that's what you perceive ACB to be. And it's a very important part of ACB. Recently, um, we helped a, a couple travel to a cancer center. You know, these things the national could not do, not at the level we would have to. And that's mm -hmm. what we depend on our local and state affiliates for. Uh, we don't do enough talking about that. We don't let people know the value of that membership. And, and I don't think that. Um that a lot of people at the national level know enough about the work that state affiliates and local chapters are doing. So I, th I think it kind of applies both ways, which is one of the reasons why this, this, uh, this exercise was good. Um, did you, did you get any impression from that session in terms of how people felt, uh, about the way that, uh, national perceives state affiliates? Not necessarily from that session itself, Paul, but, but from conversations outside of the session. And basically, I got two differing views. One is there was a disconnect. And to, to be honest with you, there probably always has been, and we've worked hard to fix that. Right. But it's somewhat there. Um, and the other was how we've work to involve all the way down to what I've always referred to as the boots on the ground. You know, two years ago now, um, we empowered every member of this organization to vote. Uh, I really believe that date would have been 10 years from now, but with the pandemic and all, we put a lot of stuff into play that wouldn't have happened. Uh, the community was born, really grew much faster than anybody ever dreamed it would. And the, the negative side of the pandemic was that the local organizations are social. There's a lot of social. You know, they do a lot of local <clears throat> advocacy, but they also do dine-arounds and, and that type of thing where they're getting together, bingos. Uh, the Kentucky Council has programs once or a month or so that where they actually look at devices and different things. And we, we really have a lot to, to bring, you know, we need to bring this to the national level and put it out in such a way that people grasp that we're not just this big conglomerate of affiliates. Uh, we're, we're really looking at our individual members. And the best way we've done that so far, I think, is through community. Is is there, do you think, and, and um, I'll give everybody warning, that we have, we have a bunch of folks here, almost uh, 25 folks, so we are going to give people an opportunity to, uh, to raise questions with David pretty soon, or to talk just in general about uh, membership for the most part, and, and also money when we get there. Um, but David, do you think that, that community has impacted um, uh, state affiliates, special interest affiliates in any particular way? 
well, there's there's a big debate out there over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and some people have taken sides in it. I've tried to look at it broadly, and I really believe that there's not as much a competition as some is perceived. But what what I do believe is is that if and the, and there always has been a competition. You know, uh, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples that are just, uh, you know, just makeshift things that happen in convention. Uh, if Lua has the library speaker, whoever's against them's in trouble. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> let's just get real. People right. want to hear. It. Uh, I think what it will eventually do once everybody gets it in their head how it works is that we will have better programming come out of it uh, than than we would have of losses. Now, is it a competition for the local? It shouldn't be because we're, you know, we're social animals. We love being together. Uh, now that, now that the pandemic is gone and we can do that again, I think how we rebuild is going to be important. Mm-hmm. And I think how we, inquire, I think rather than, Looking at it as two different uh, parts of the organization, I think that the local needs to embrace hybrid meetings and the community as part of the service they render mm-hmm. to, to their in, to their individual members. You know, it's it's hard for us as a national organization to look at, say, uh, I use Talladega, Alabama, because that's where I'm at, to to do something special for Talladega, Alabama, but if they can do something that affects Talladega and, you know, Miami, Boston, wherever, then yes, we need to be involved in it. And we need to hear. Uh, I think what I got most out of this is hearing all the different ideas that they had of how they handle their membership and how the, what their perception of membership. I'm hoping for questions, of course, I always like questions, but I also like comments because I, you know, I'm a forward learner. I learn from the comments that I hear. I might not necessarily agree with all of them, but I at least push it forward and throw it out there for people who are in a position to do something, you know, at least hear the input. That's, I look at myself kind of as a conduit, you know, for, for comments from people to getting it back to the board of directors or to the staff. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bryan, any any questions from you before we have Miss Marion see if we have some raised hands? Just two or three, if I may. One is uh, we have seen a shift in membership. That is, the special interest affiliates have grown, while the state affiliates <clears throat> have shrunk a bit. So that's that's a pretty significant demographical change. And one of the values of the central registry of our membership is we're gathering uh, data that might allow us to analyze where we have been and where we're headed on things. Has ACB invested much time and energy in analyzing our membership list data? That is the plan for this year. the, the other thing you didn't hit on there, um, that at, as we begin to analyze this data, 
there's another part that's new that we're hoping people will embrace. And that's uh, race and that's an activity. Um, and, you know, we want to be inclusive. No, nobody wants to exclude anybody. We need this information, not only to, to be sure, like with our efforts in the Spanish language broadcast now, uh, we need to know what percentage is out there and what we need to do to have programming that's of interest to people, have the language that's interest to people, uh, along with the, the regular uh, data that we use, the geographic data, to look at you know, how our organization is growing or, or declining. Yeah, I was. I'm. I'm particularly interested in the idea that uh, back in the day when I was treasurer, but also uh, when I was VP, uh, first VP under Paul, we attempted to gather information from our affiliates about what you know, how they were composed, who is in leadership at a given time, how many chapters in your affiliate. Um, were you properly uh, set up in terms of your 501c3 not-for-profit status and up-to-date on filing with all the necessary state and, and federal entities to maintain your uh, legitimacy as a not-for-profit membership organization, that kind of stuff. We got a lot of pushback in attempting to simply gather the information uh, the whole concept of, you know, kind of a state's rights or you don't have any right to insist on this. It doesn't say you, we have to do this in the Constitution, that kind of thing. Do you think that that's improving? I think I think it's improving, Brian, but I think it's got a long way to go. Um, I know that one of the biggest problems that we have is that we don't know you know, because we don't have the staff to monitor it. We could actually monitor it if we wanted to, because so could you, you know, as an individual by going to the IRS website. But, uh, you know, people are not always current with, with the 501c3s. And, and that cost a chapter in a state that I know of this year being able to have access to money that was actually willed them because they have to stay in compliance, you know, under the 501c3 to get that money. And of course, that that one had dropped theirs, uh, but just simply by not filling out what is it the nine ninety nine ninety nine fill out every year, yeah. you know. So uh, you make a valid point. It was a problem then, and what is it now? Twenty years later, <laughs> we're, we're still experiencing the same problem, maybe to a lesser degree. So, so do we have a feeling of how how many of those fields that are not required are actually being that data is being provided to us uh like you I mentioned hope, ethnicity age right. things along those lines uh i hope we do uh and we won't know yet for what another month or so that's uh, correct people, yep. people have just finished you know this is the first time i think we've asked for that so we really won't know probably for another month or so the tiniest component of ACB's membership when Brian and I were president and vice president 
was at-large membership. Um, do you perceive that the number of at-large members in ACB has grown, David? I think it has grown, uh, but not as significant as I first thought. Um, when, when I first started looking at it, I really thought it had jumped because I looked at the affiliate numbers and they were down. But then when you go back and you pull the special, special interest affiliates out and you look at the growth they've had, then uh, I don't know that they've really grown significantly, but I would say they probably, uh, probably since your day, they've probably grown by 60 or 70 percent, though. I, I, I would think more than that, but we'll see. Miss Marianne, do we have any hands? We do. Michael Byington first. We know him. Yeah, we know him. You lower that hand. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for letting me talk anyway, even though you know me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I uh, just finished today uh, certifying <clears throat> members in my capacity as the treasurer for Friends and Art of ACB. Mm-hmm. And we're down. We are down because the vast majority of members that we were able to recruit at conventions each year were recruited by people dropping by the FIA suite, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. or seeing the treasurer after the FIA showcase, which was also virtual for the last uh, three years or, or something like that. And uh, we're down membership about, a little bit more than two than a, a third. We're we're losing a couple of uh, affiliate votes and so on, and you know that's with me being as uh, diligent as I could be and sending out emails to people. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to rejoin, etc.? But what has me concerned about the recruitment of members now as a treasurer for a special interest affiliate is that we are being actively discouraged from having a suite at conventions anymore. There are rather draconian uh, procedures that have been uh, determined where we are not able to advertise events in the suite, not able to advertise inviting people to the suite. So many things that FIA, again this year, uh, quite logically decided not to have a suite. But I have shared with my uh, board at FIA, and I share with you now, that I think this is a serious mistake on the part of the convention committee to be discouraging things happening in the suites. Now, I will acknowledge that there is a certain feeling that the trafficking in suites is a little bit of a good old boy or good old girl type of of communications and so on and dates back to an old age and i'm certainly willing to look at possibilities for replacing that but what i am seeing this year is that we have done uh, the the part of saying no you can't do that anymore or we're not going to support you if you do but i don't see it really replaced with anything where the people attending virtually and the people attending in person 
can get together in any type of a small group very easily and have an informal chance to work some of these things out, recruit members, etc. And at least for the way we have done business in FIA over the last many years, I think that this is going to cause us to have a great deal of greater difficulty in recruiting members. So, so I would just, uh, I didn't make it to the uh, uh, mid-year in person. I was there virtually, but uh, I wanted to pass on to people who are still in uh, a position to take this stuff back to the board that I don't think that the decision being made about discouraging the kind of social and membership recruiting activities that takes place in suites is a good idea at all. And it's not going to make it easier to recruit members. Thank you. Yep. Michael, I have a quick question before you let you go. Are you guys doing the FIA showcase in person this year or virtually? We're going to try and do a blended version of the showcase, and it's very experimental. I hope it works out, but I have wonderful people that I have the joy of working with on the FIA board. Uh, Peter Altschul, uh, Derek Lane, um, uh, Mike Mandel, uh, Anna Giappetta are really doing a great deal of work to try. And if I left anybody out, please excuse me, because I know that there are a lot of people working to try to bring this blended showcase about and make it work. And I'm very excited about the fact that FIA this year will be doing not only that, but also our prose and poetry group uh, in the convention uh, as a either virtual or or live event, because I think that we need that camaraderie convention. And last year, I was one of the few FIA people who were at the convention in person, and I really wasn't able to recruit membership because I didn't have <clears throat> a suite, etc. So, uh, right. Uh, the answer to your question, Paul, is yes, sort of, kinda, and I think it's going to work out really great. Cool. Um, David, comments for Michael? Uh, yeah. Uh, one, you might want to look at uh, seeing if there's a meeting room available for you. The, the problem with the suites, people still get the suites. We, we cannot put them in the program and all anymore. It's not an issue of whether we wanted to do it or not. It was a liability issue that we were advised uh, that, you know, because, you know, realistically, uh, you can't single out groups and we've had issues before and we're in a different world now where, uh, people tend to sue you. People pe tend to file code of conduct complaints and it was just a large liability. So we're not even using suites for ACB unless it's a suite where, uh, you know, it's, it's strictly tied to the president and it's only for events. It's not a, a come and go type thing. Very good. Miss um, Marianne. Larry Johnson. <clears throat> Hello, Larry. 
There, I think I'm now unmuted. You are. There he is, the man. All right. Uh, I want to go back to something that David said early on about how to involve the general membership at the at the boots level, at the grassroots level, because I agree that many of the members at large and other members who are perhaps not actively involved with their affiliate or with their state uh, organization, uh, feel really distanced and separate from. But at the same time, to echo David's comments, there's a lot going on at the national level that we don't truly appreciate or participate in. And I, I would like to take a page from the playbook of AARP. I don't know how many of you are members of AARP, but I've rejoined after a long absence. And one of the things that I was really impressed by is how much information they disseminate to their membership. Now, they don't involve their membership in many of the ways that, ways that we do. But one of the things that they do very well is to provide a very simple way for you to echo to your congressman or senator your support of or feelings about particular legislation or particular issues. And they make it so simple. They send you the email, you click on the the web page, you get there, your name is filled in, your address is filled in, everything's filled in, and it's addressed to your particular congressperson, and the issue is highlighted. They even have the message written out. Uh, you know, I definitely support secure Social Security, or I definitely support, you know, lowering prescription prices of drugs, all right? Why can't we do something like that for some of our national imperatives? It allows individual members to feel involved and to do something in a very, very simple way to express their support of and their involvement in an issue that does impact them. David? You know, I'm, I'm glad he brought this up. Uh, we have an unusual conflict in ACB, or maybe it's not unusual, but from what you're saying about AARP, and I'm a member, I know what you're talking about. Um, a lot of our members don't like us even putting their, you know, their addresses in to send to them, or they'll opt out of uh, a lot of our major, major communications. Um, I think that is something that really needs to be explored. And it needs, there again, it needs to come down to the local level for your president or your program person in your chapter to come out and say, you know, this is what ACB is doing. And we really need your participation and get people to start buying in to what we're doing. Uh, it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's part of that, uh, 
pushback, Paul or Brian, whichever one brought it mm -hmm. up a few minutes ago. It, it's part of that pushback is the problem that we have. I think that Larry was suggesting that the responsibility might lie with national um, to set up a system that would <clears throat> allow folks at the local level um, to express input to their Congress people because it was already set up and easy for them to do. Yeah, we, we could do that if there again, though, we don't get a lot of this information to where he's saying, you know, they send it out and you click on a link. Right. The link has to be specific to you. And no, no. A, a, a lot of people have opted out of that, you know. Well, you give them the choice. You tell them, you know, would you like to be part of this choice to receive a link to be able to express your support by one click or two clicks that you support, for example, uh, you know, the, the bill that we're really interested in having to do with making websites and applications fully accessible. Who is going so to object to doing that? Are you suggesting that you'd make that a part of the membership application, Larry? Sure. However, yeah. we we do that because, uh, again, uh, people may choose that they don't want to receive that information. That's fine. You can opt out. But if if members, like many I know, feel that they are basically disconnected from what the board is doing and what the legislative imperatives are. And, and if you tell somebody, well, write to your congressman, that's a really laborious effort. And, and you don't know if it's going to be effective or if it's going to reach. But if someone sets it up for you and that all you have to do is go click, click, and your message is sent, and I can tell you this, that you receive response from your congressman, like I do. Now, maybe they're hand responses, but you do get a response. So they are receiving these messages. Now, I don't know what it would cost. I don't know about the cost, David, of you know that kind of a system, how much would it would cost, but I think it would be a very worthwhile investment for the board to look at. Well, well, we're always looking at moving forward. I, I can, I will certainly uh, put this recommendation in. Um, I meant in no way to to say that we couldn't do what you're saying. What I, what I, the message that I'm sending out, and and not to you necessarily, but hopefully to the membership is, get on board, people. Let, it works. It works us, both ways. Yeah, right. It, it does work both ways, and and we're honestly trying to do this for you. We never sell your name to anybody. Uh, those lists are kept private. What we use those for are communications with you. Just what, just what he just said. You know, uh, if, if you're feeling like you're not in communication with us, a lot of times it's the information that you gave, or it could it might not even be your fault. It may be your secretary or your treasurer's fault. That they just simply say, oh, oh, David Trot lives here. Um, well, you know, tonight, uh, Rick had my old email address. And Dan Starr <coughs> has been updated anywhere, you know. And uh, so, so what we have to do is not only be sure that you buy into it, but that you be sure as a member 
that your person in charge of your membership updates that to us. But moving forward, I, I think it's an excellent idea. I think it's a way to grow our legislative process. So, Larry, do you think there's a danger that um, Congress people will discount AARP stuff as being just an automatically generated set of chatter rather than reflecting individual opinions of, um, of constituents? I would say that if AARP is paying to have such a system operate, they must feel that it has some value. I, I, th- I think that's true. And, and I think what it does yep. is it, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think what no, it does, on. it addresses um, so many of our members who are left behind in in terms of technology, technical te- technological ability. So it's a one-click shopping kind of thing. And so it addresses that group of people um, who feel um, a little bit disenfranchised by the whole, how do I reach my congressman? How do I go to the web and search it out and all that stuff? So I, I, I think it's a great idea. Larry, thanks for your call, sir. Thank you. I'm going to step in here for a second. Brian gets a chance. Um, I think that this is a kind of service that one, that an organization can purchase here in Massachusetts. We take our, membership list and we go in to a database and we make sure that we know each person based on their address, who their senator is, who their congressperson is, who their state senator is, who their state uh, house member is, so that when we need troops to contact people, we have that database available to us to reach out to the right member to speak to the right elected official. That really does help us. The cost of getting one of those systems installed for ACB would not be minor, but I think it would be really valuable uh, for us to do this. The other thing is, uh, let's see, today I received 120 emails. So we have to be careful when we communicate with our members that the communication is not kind of rote, bam, 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 because people can hit that delete button pretty quick. And then claim letter later that they didn't know. So we need to be careful that we include in our communication, you know, keep uh, on strong, straightforward issues and uh, don't say the same thing 20 times. Right. Mm-hmm. Before you take the next question, Paul, I wanted to ask you because it actually happened during your administration. You know, we this conversation rather differently, what, 20-something years ago, right. when we do conference calls and started our email, that we yes. were leaving people out that didn't have long distance, that didn't have this. And, and we still have to look at growing and being a part. If we want things to help us in the world today, then we're going to have to come on board. But at the same time, make things available for those who either don't want to come on board or don't have the ability to come on board with the technology. Uh, you know, I wouldn't suggest that we jump automatically into a whole new world and leave them out, but it's, it's kind of, was kind of struck me as funny in a, in a, in a weird way that 
you and I are here tonight and, and this same thing happened, you know, during your administration, just in a different way. <laughs> I think Indeed. that, yeah, I think that, um, I think we always have to maintain a balance. And the real question is, when when does that balance alter? And, and, and I don't know the answer. I really don't. Uh, because I don't think truly that that we have that we have the data. I can tell you flat out that um, there are lots of folks who are members of the special affiliate that I was recently president of the Braille Revival League who are not very technologically capable um, and are not likely to be. And mm-hmm. uh, and and so uh, we we attempt to try to find ways of being sure that they can be included, um, uh, which is why people get mad at how long my 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 meeting announcements are because I include all kinds of information that others setting up meetings don't because I want to be sure that 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 I'm holding the hands of the folks who are trying to get into. Um, the the programs that I'm responsible for, so I probably give them more information than ninety percent of the people who are calling and really need. Also, I think that you can reach forward without necessarily stomping on what has been in the past. I think you can. My my affiliate always gives away and promotes uh, online registration for our events. Yeah, but it also includes. Uh, in every way we can, informing people that if you feel uncomfortable doing this, mm-hmm. here's a number you call, leave a message saying you need help, and a member will be calling you back to register on your behalf. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's that kind of effort that we need yeah. to be doing. And we do the same in Florida, and I, I suspect they, they may in Pennsylvania as well. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yes. I would be in trouble if I didn't promote this here and now that we're having this discussion. We did that in ACB. Uh, if you want to register for the convention, sure do. Uh, we have somebody that will call you uh, and do that for you. you. You don't have to do it yourself. We have uh, a, a myriad of people who, who do this every year. Janet heads up this group and they do a great job. Yeah, so yes, they do. We're all in agreement here. We, we, we want to move forward, but yet we don't want to leave anybody behind. So we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing for the people who need, you know, the, the extra assistance. Thank you. you Miss Marianne. Jamaica Miller. Hey, Jamaica. Haven't heard from you for a while. How are you? You're still muted, Jamaica. Can you hear me now? Yes, we, we can. can. Okay. Okay. Well, my question is, about 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 money um because it's uh, it's about the the part about um can do you think we could still send checks to different to different programs of the of the ACB or do you think we need to just um try to do most of our things with credit card because the reason why i'm asking about this is because i'm having some i don't have my own credit card and i'm still a a, a person that does that 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 does checks um when when i'm when i'm able to send a little money to the american council of the blind and i'm just 
wondering, uh, can that still happen? Thank you. David? I am the all-inclusive treasurer. I will take checks, cash, money orders, credit cards. Well, I won't, but we do. Uh, and we, we will do that, Jamaica, in the way that is best for you. Uh, we certainly want your membership. And, of course, we want any donation that you can give. And if you're doing those, we feel like it ought to be in the best accessible way for you. Thank you very much. So what is the, what is, if, if, if Jamaica wants to uh, make a donation or wants to, to, to figure out where to send a check, where's the best place for her to call, David? Uh, I would call the, the main ACB line. Uh, okay. What is 1-800-424-8666? Is that still That's, it? It is yep. still it. <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> used it for years, but I hadn't used it in so long. You know, and, I and always if, forget numbers. And they will yep. tell you where to send it. Uh, my thinking is it would go to the Minneapolis office, and I do it, not it know will. that off the top of my head. Uh, but, but we can certainly put that out there for you. Um, I think it's in the Braille form fairly regular. It is. But, uh, and there again, that 1-800-424-8666 has been around since, uh, since I had hair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a ways back. Yeah. Yeah. It, right? <laughs> My goodness. My goodness. Mammoths were around then. Thank you, Bob. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Marianne. Gene Man. <laughs> hey, Gene. New York is being heard from. Yes, oh, it yeah. is. Not New, not New York. I'm not from that part of the state. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the Minnesota office, I know because I've been calling it a lot lately. 612-332-3242. Um, Thank you. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to say was that, that in New York, one of the problems I find is... For one thing, we can't get people to join our state list. I think we have about a third of our members on our state list. Um, people say, oh, it's too much email. I, I don't want all that email. And I find that a lot of a lot of our people don't know the history of ACB state or national. And they join for, you know, whatever reason. Um, we have one chapter that rewrote their constitution. And honestly, it was, it was written by somebody who does works with with not-for-profit corporations and it, it was written like that it took me an hour to read the thing just going through it once and I, I said to them you've got to you've got to revise this this is not the way ACB works you know mm-hmm. most of the power went to the board but I, I think that that for a lot of people they just they don't know the history and so mostly what they care about is whatever their local chapter is doing mm-hmm. I, I also wonder um, you know, there's so much talk about how the state affiliates are losing people and the special interest affiliates are gaining people. But what's not being said is that the majority of people who belong to special interest affiliates belong to more than one. So yes. it, would, it would be interesting to see on the whole um, how much members, how many members were gaining or losing. And, and, and that's and, what the data right. in yeah. our national record should be able to tell us those yep. kinds of things. And then we could build policies and processes based right. on that information. 
and, and, and also people who, you know, say, well, my email address isn't right on your list or this, that, or the other thing need to know that if they register you, they can go into that. Um, I don't remember exactly. It's that ACB members website and they can update yeah. things themselves. They can. I yell at and, my members and, all the time because I do the AMMS and they update stuff and then they don't tell me, but you know, and, and, and Jean, Jean is is a person who actually knows something of what of which she speaks because she is. Are you still co chair of credentials, Miss Jean? I'm I'm on credentials. That we don't have a co chair. Ralph is just the, the Ralph chair. is now full chair. I, yeah, he is. But you, you you were co chair, were you not? Yeah, I was. I was the chair for a long time. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Um. And have you noticed anything that 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 you'd like to share with us as as kind of a person on credentials about some of the trends that are going on? Well, I I don't know who I think it was Dan Spoon mentioned this the other night on a, a call I was on. When I first well I I've been in ACB a long time, longer than you, probably not as long as Brian, but longer than you, Paul. And anyway. Yeah. There were there were at least five or six affiliates, Oklahoma, um, Texas, I think, California, um, Florida, Missouri, vendors that had enough people that they got 25 votes. Pennsylvania was another one. I think Utah even. There was a whole bunch of them, and there isn't one anymore that has 25 votes. I, I remember, I think last year there was maybe one that had 22 um, a lot of the states are like way, way down from where they used to I think to be. Florida had 25 last year, but I don't think Google nope. this year. They're nope. down. Pennsylvania nope. is down. Yeah. <clears throat> Florida did not. Well, you you would know, Miss Jean, so I yeah. don't know why I'm saying that. I, I, um, I actually still have last year's credentials report here somewhere. Right. But I, I did notice that, that not one, one affiliate had 25 votes, not even special and, interest. And yeah, for those who aren't aware... Just because an affiliate gets 25 votes doesn't mean they have that many members because they cut off at 25. Right. They would have had potentially hundreds and hundreds of more members. Oh, they did. I mean, affiliate did. Did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that uh, kind of thing. Yep. Florida, Florida at one point had, had well over 1,500 members. Yep. Yep. And, and California yep. essentially was, was just a little behind us. Yep, Missouri, Mississippi was way up there. A lot of them. Yep, yep, yep. Miss Jean, thank you for your call. By the way, that that's Mrs. MMS. Oh yes, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Yes, everybody, join MMS. (laughs) Very good. Thank you, Miss Jean. Thanks, you guys. Mm Mm-hmm. Miss Marianne. Janine. Hello. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Hey, so Mr. Trot and Mr. Edwards, uh, hello, good evening. I hello. have this question, and that um, I know it's been answered kind of by other people, but I, I think more members should know this. So speaking of the special interest, like I'm from Florida, and I, I think, by the way, Paul, I think we had 23 votes. But um. I am a member of Florida, and I haven't been in this organization very long. It's maybe been three years. Um, 
there. So I think, yeah, I'm not sure. But so my question is, okay, so let's say I'm a member of Florida and I'm a member of NextGen and I'm a member of Friends in Action and I'm a member of Guide Dogs and I'm a member of Braille. And those are like all the special interest groups, right? And then I want to support my friends in Tennessee. So I joined the Tennessee chapter. I joined the Mississippi chapter. I joined Oregon, California. I joined all these chapters um, throughout the States to support them because I want to be a supporter, right? So I, I would like to know why each state has to pay ACB for me if... Um, if I, if one who's my primary and my main, you know, cause we have primary and secondary in Florida. So yeah, we're, we're the only place that has that though, luckily. Oh. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. So how come everybody has to pay for me? Because why doesn't just one like, so Florida, they're my main everything. So Florida would pay the $5 to ACB for me. And then when I join, you know, the, the bunny group and the candy group and you know all the other affiliates why do they have to pay as well for my membership to ACB David David Paul can correct me if I'm wrong I think part of it is constitutionally and part of it goes to the 23 votes you were talking about mm -hmm. uh, you know we we don't have a way of separate well we can separate what you're a member of but we can't separate the affiliates. We can't, which affiliate would you pay your main membership to, for example? Mm -hmm. uh, they, it's, it's very, very complicated. Uh, it's, it's not a new question. And I'm going to stand up here and say something that you won't hear me say often because I've been around so long. Mm -hmm. But I frankly don't have a clue of how you could change it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we we've Brian? talked about this problem over the decades, uh, and one it was determined by our founders that um, an individual to be counted as a member of a state affiliate, and remember, we were all state affiliates first before there were special interest affiliates. That we were our state affiliate would forward on a certain amount of money for the members in their affiliate. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, we were talking earlier about when an affiliate has more than 25 votes, uh, there's been discussion about do why should they have to pay for members above that point when they're not when there's no representation right for those members. So this this is as David said, it's a very complicated kind of issue and would require a pretty significant revamping of the whole concept of membership. Here in my affiliate in Massachusetts, we have uh, area chapters, but we also have special interest chapters. And if you are a member of a area chapter and a member of a special interest chapter, you do not pay your state portion twice mm. you pay it only once puts a lot of work on our treasurer to okay. keep that straight by the way then there's the issue of we have a gdui affiliation our student group is not affiliated with the national group but our 
guide dog group is. So now the guide dog users, when they pay their dues, they pay the chapter, the state, and the national dues, and they're ending up paying the national dues twice mm-hmm. uh, because it's being paid for by our state as well as their their chapter. So it gets very financially complicated to come up with something. And I, I quite honestly have never heard anybody come up with anything, so uh, not even my, a straw man to work from. So my part B of that um, is if I become a life member and I pay the $1,000 membership, would that mean nobody has to pay ACB for me anymore? All the affiliates, you know, the candy affiliate, the baseball affiliate. Uh, Good question. So here's my answer to that, because I had this argument that turned out to be agreement with my state treasurer. Okay. When a person buys a lifetime membership, they no longer should have to pay to the organization they paid the lifetime membership to. So I'm a lifetime member of ACB. So I should never have to pay ACB dues as a result of that. But that doesn't mean I don't have to pay my state dues. Mm -hmm. So I pay my state dues, but I tell my state treasurer, do not forward money onto ACB because I am a national member, life member. And Mm -hmm. I do the same thing with my chapter and with my special interest. I'm a Lua lifetime member. So they get to keep your money. Okay, I like that. Okay, thank you so much. Um, And the same thing applies to special interest affiliates, Janine, where where special interest affiliates, if if you're a life member of that special interest affiliate, you don't have to pay dues to that special interest affiliate and the special interest affiliate um, sends your information in to to ACB. um, But because you're a life member, uh, it, it, you're never charged anymore. And they get you are charged, but your affiliate, right? Be careful. Your affiliate is what? Correct. That's right. Oh. If you are a life member of well, BRL, yeah. If you are a life member of BRL, BRL is not going to ask you for any dues. But mm-hmm. when they turn in their membership list, they must send the what is it? to ACB if they want you to be counted among their members. Now, if you're a life member of ACB, nobody pays your dues anymore. You just pay them to your state and special. Your national part. The national part. That's correct. So we, we charge $5 less to a member who's an ACB member at large or a but, member life member. But it, but it basically doesn't save us any money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you guys. Thanks very yep, much. You bet. And, yep. and do it the flip side of that, you know, we're membership and money. Let's do look at the money side of that. We did a, a study 15 or 20 years ago. And we figured up the value of that $5. And I think it was actually three then. Was about a hundred dollars, yeah. And uh, so, you know, you you really get bang for your buck, and and that's why um, I've never really pushed it. And Lord knows, Rhonda and I are members of six organizations plus our state affiliates. So yeah, me too. 
it, it adds yeah. up. But 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 there is some bang for your buck there. But, so, oh yes, I absolutely I, get more value from that membership than it costs me. I I, I think just you know, the Braille think, forum alone, for example. Yeah, yeah. I think more what we can the cost. Yeah, what we can say to everybody is there is there is no organization that you can join within ACB that I know about uh, where where you don't get value for money. None. Yep. Yep. Um, every it 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 costs every single organization that is associated with ACB to have members. Yeah. 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 The more members we have, uh, the, the more, more we costs. have to raise money to pay yep. the difference between the dues and the yep. activity costs. Yep. Miss Marianne. Perry. Perry Pacheco. Perry. I know her. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey. Good evening. Good evening. Um, it, it was an interesting conversation. I mean, we've, we've all gone through that conversation a thousand times through the years about the uh, multiple payments of dues. I think something that was originally intended in ACB is, and goes right back to the, to the name of the organization. It's the American Council of the Blind. And therefore, a lot of what was originally intended, as I was told by a couple of former major leaders in this organization, is that it would be a council of organizations. And that's why we use it. One of the reasons we use the term council. And so every time, you know, if you join BRL, that is an organization that happens, that happens to be a member of ACB. The, the organization is the actual member of the organ, the a special interest or a state affiliate is actually the member of the organization. Um, and and at that time, the uh, membership at large was primarily put in to the Constitution because there weren't that many affiliates. And it has stayed in, and you're right, it has grown significantly, is my understanding, over the last 10 or 15 years. I think probably particularly in the last four or five years. Um, I know... In 2006, for instance, I think we had six members at large. Everyone else was a member of at least one affiliate. What I think is the important is the question, and we've kind of touched on it tonight, is yes, state, state affiliates are down in membership. Special interests are up in membership. But I think what's the, the real question and the real challenge is overall, are we up in members or are we down in members as a whole of unduplicate of unduplicated numbers? And that's the thing that I think, and we can pull that from the AMS. Yeah. That's the real question. And that's where we need to be looking at membership development, I think. David, do, do, you, do you believe that we're... Um we're we're down in overall membership. We we are down in overall membership. If you look at the budget, you can tell that. Right. Uh, but what what we what is surprising to me is individual memberships. Uh, 
like Terry said, you know, wanted to know, wanted to know or, or said, um, you can pull those numbers and it's not as low as you think. Um, there, there's not as many David and Rhonda seven member members as <laughs> I really thought there would be. Uh, because expect you've got a lot of people now who belong only to say Lua. They don't belong to Massachusetts or Alabama. Um, so they're individual members. Uh, they they come off of that multi group that you know even though they live where we all have affiliates, they're not members of the affiliates. The the best that I can get, and and I'm going from last year's numbers, people, because. You know, we're getting new numbers as we speak right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, when I looked last year, we, we really were holding our own everywhere but um, local, state and local affiliates. Now, having said that, uh, yes, the, the uh, members at large has grown, but they were actually a little stagnant last year because – uh, they were encouraged to go to affiliates, and some did. Some mm-hmm. choose not to. And, you know, that's kind of like the old uh, adage we were using with the telephone while ago. Um, mm. we, we, we want to encourage members to be a part of our state and local affiliates because, frankly, when we're advocating for transportation, when we're advocating for accessible voting, we need boots on the ground. Uh, and and that's really where we're falling down. You're right, and I th- but I do think that um, a good bit of our you know earlier we were talking you were talking about uh, information the information flow from national to local and from local to national, and I think maybe we do need to significantly look at from local to national. Um, I mean, national is putting out so much information at times. Uh, you know, it's just the the email. Look at the look at the email list. They just changed. If you've got a, a know of a of a job opening, now you're supposed to send it a whole new thing. So they only come out twice a week because we had so much information on those coming out. Um, that kind of thing on you know on conversation and that you know we have so many email lists at this point. How how do we encourage that that communication, though, Terry? As a as an ACB board member, you probably has some thoughts. I on getting from the local up, and I think it's we need to do more um, networking with our members. Not necessarily, you know. I know that there's a what do they call it? The Hump Day Presidents uh, mm-hmm. call. Correct. Right. Um, my understanding, I'm not on that because I'm not a president. I'm a board member, but I'm so I'm not allowed to be on that list. <laughs> but uh, on those, but um, my understanding is, you know, you you might have half of the affiliates might show up on on one of those, and we need to be getting that out. And that was the original intent, Paul. If you remember back to when we started the leadership list, sure, it was supposed to be something. Almost like what the president's list is now, with right. a few, with one or two additional people from an affiliate. To and the, but the purpose was that anyone that went on that was taking on the responsibility of getting that information out to their affiliate, and that is something that's really not been 
I mean, I've touted it a few places, but that's not being pushed at all these days. And that needs to be. Um, I think that's one of the ways that we can get more information out to people. Yeah, As, I think and, it's... And, 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 and that they can, that they can, that this will create a two-way conversation. Yeah, I, I, I think it's something we need to think about is, is how we encourage that that communication from the bottom to the top because I, I, I've, I've never found a really good way to do it. No, I think no, probably I, the, the best way to get something like that rolling is to have questions asked by national it's a good idea. people rather than saying, tell us what you think. Just send out a questionnaire, carefully, short, straightforward, questionnaire on a given topic uh whatever that might be again not every day terry <laughs> you're mm-hmm. going to drown in such things yeah. but if we could simply send out uh you know like once a month a questionnaire to uh, the leaders quite honestly mm-hmm. of of our state and special interest affiliates it could, yes you can go on and, and ask everybody but i think that if you direct it more specifically, if you ask John a question, he's more likely to give you an answer. And unlike if you asked all Johns the same question, you yeah. with me? People yeah. respond yeah. more when asked directly. So let's start asking things like, uh, in your state, in your state, uh, how much of your state do <laughs> you feel has adequate public transportation. Gather some information like that. People will appreciate being asked. That's true. I think you make make a good point. I think one other thing I'd like to just touch on is um, Michael Byington's call this evening. Um, I think that was incredibly important. Um, I think the, the, the whole restructure that's taken place of convention uh, has is just led to less and less um, what he's talking about. You know the, the issues of of your membership recruitment within the from within the organization. Well, and for special interest affiliates, yep. For this, well, yes, because we're specifically talking about special interest affiliates. Pretty much when we're talking convention. Because right. that is a, a, you know, traditionally was their time to have their uh, uh, to have their meetings and to do their programming that they wouldn't be doing ordinarily throughout the year. And right now it is. It's very difficult to get something put together that's maybe hybrid, something like that, except for community. Community is running opposite the time when that used that up until the last two couple of years was devoted specifically under an agreement way back when uh to special interest affiliates and that's been basically done away with and uh to a to a great degree and that's and again i think i think the phrase done away with suggests something different it it's been one of those things as as david mentioned earlier uh we don't live in the same world. Uh, we have to adapt to what's going on in the real world around us, right? We are we in do, a litigious world, yeah, absolutely. 
And we, Terry, we, as a we, member of our board, you know the difficulties the board has had in dealing with um, issues of filed uh, conduct complaints. And I know, having sat in many, many uh, suite over the years, that uh, things get a little crazy. And, I'm not uh, necessarily police there. <laughs> but Brian, I'm not necessarily saying that we need to go back to suites as such. What exactly. I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, for instance, at last year's con- the, at last year's convention, anything social was only in person with the exception of community. Anything social was only in person. It was at night. Community was running something like one to seven or something. And and you know, as well as I do, that that time in the past was for the affiliates to have their programming. Now we've moved the affiliates programming primarily, not entirely, but a major part of it to the week before the, the general sessions, which brings up the whole concept of separating the two. And that didn't work back when we had a lot more members back in the 1970s and 80s. Then it'll be interesting to see if it works now. Uh, Miss Terry, thank you very much. I thank you. Miss Marianne. No hands currently. Very good. But now hey, I'm so I'm sorry that you asked me to call in, even if it was my birthday. Well, <laughs> happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> Take care, folks. Oh, we just got a hand popped up. Mm-hmm. Um, phone number 608. Give me one second. Area code 608. Hi, this is Peter in Wisconsin. Hello, Peter. Hi, Peter. Um, that I, I've been, been thinking about some of the things that uh, Larry was talking about with the AARP. Um, I, I've, um, I was at a, um, uh, it was a seminar on uh, the Poor People's Campaign. And yep. um, you know, they were looking for recruitment. And that um, at the end of the time that they passed out sheets to people and said, you know, would you like more information about poor people's campaign? And, uh, and then, then uh, the next one down was, would you like the newsletter? Um, would you be interested in attending a rally? Would you be in, uh, interested in forming a local group? And then the last, the last question was, um, are you willing to be arrested? Um, but that, <laughs> The um, uh, but and that you had to you you filled in your your contact information of how you wanted to be contacted for each of those things. Um, I, I you know I'm I'm not sure that we need to ask people whether or not they're willing to be arrested for ACB, but that um, you know I, I I'm I'm thinking that maybe Larry's right that uh, when we have our membership applications. That um, that we have those kinds of things, so that if you don't want to be contacted by for anything, you don't have to be. But that if you want to be, if you're interested in those things, that um, that would be a way of of uh, uh, finding out who's who's willing to do what at what level. 
That's all. You know, one of the interesting things of ACB is we do not have a membership form. Each affiliate creates their own. So they ask the questions they want to ask. We have the, we ask them to include the questions that we can fill in our database with. But there is no such thing as a national membership form used by all affiliates when collecting membership information. But but there is a, a membership the, at large form. That's there underway. is the at large form. I I, I absolutely yeah. agree. And but again, we collect our membership data from the ground up, not from the top down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's how your chapter gathers information, what questions they're asking, and then what they report to the state or special interest and, and on up the food chain, so to speak. So do you think there would be advantage to a national membership application? Well, at the at large, at the at large level, at least, um, you know, we have yeah. to have something more than what what we've got um, here in Wisconsin. I think that the uh, the question is, are you breathing? And, yes. Uh, if, yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, you know, we're we're having this very problem here in Massachusetts. It's getting confusing. People are sometimes paying their dues three different ways because they're asked by three different people. The state yeah. doesn't want to lose members. So they send out a membership application or request to anybody who was a member last year, and then their chapter collects dues, and they send a check-in as well, and we get to unscramble the, the duplication of effort in the scheme of things. But no there's, two chapters charge the same dues either. There's another interesting question. Um, a, a lot of times when people join organizations, one of the things they get are membership cards. Should ACB give those out, David? You know, it's funny you ask that. I was asked that about three times this year. And that's something that, um, assuming I'm around in the fall, uh, I plan to talk with the board about. Uh, You know, the the board meetings from now until the convention are more day-to-day business than the uh, convention itself. But uh, one of the things that, that has been brought up to me is that it, it could be something that not only would help us gather data, but, but would be a point of pride for people to say, um, yeah, you know, I ha- I'm a member of ACB. I'm a card-carrying and, member of ACB. And, and we w- would like to build in some advantages to being a card-carrying member of ACB. Yeah. Could yeah. we work out something with some of our vendors where, uh, if you showed your membership card, you would get a discount or maybe even not only our members, but, uh, you know, some of your local places like your, your restaurants, your national chain restaurants, we couldn't come down to the local level naturally and work it out. But, you know, with a, with a pizza hut or a Domino's or somebody like that, I, I could see that as being a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, now our, our local chapters in Florida, I don't know about Pennsylvania, Marianne actually had membership cards that we gave out to folks when they joined we do not currently but we Mm -hmm. have tossed around the very idea that david is talking about having a card and having benefits be attached to that card Mm -hmm. we talked about that in acb a, a number of years back do you remember when um who was it starbucks came out with a card that had braille on it 
Yep. Uh, and they were promoting. We said, why don't we get a corporate sponsor to underwrite the cost of cards? Because mm-hmm. they're not, it's not an inexpensive proposition. We already said that for every member, it costs more than the dues pays for, right? So putting out a card system will, you know, go on the on the red side of the ledger, not the black side of the ledger. But a long still, time ago. I think it could be really valuable. A long time ago in ACB, um, we used to have um, some insurance that was that was available yes. for purchase through ACB, and we used to have other things that you had to be a member of ACB in order to get. Um, and and I wonder if if it's time for us to begin, David, to explore whether whether we can build in some benefits to being a member of ACB. You talked about discounts, but I mean there there are certainly some other things. I think that you know. Right now, we we try to make money selling things, but if there were certain specific things that we could get cheaply, might we make a couple of those things available essentially at a very low cost? Um, there there are certainly other organizations that are doing that, you know, like um, <clears throat> branded branded um, headphones or branded whatever um thumb drives um right now we're trying to sell them at a profit but might might we might we actually do do ourselves more good by enabling members to buy them for less there's that there's also this idea we talked about at one point of uh of an acb arrangement with a um a banking situation uh, where you could be a opt in to having a membership in like a credit union. That's the yep. ACB credit union. It's really a, a standard banking situation with an ACB brand to it, but it, you know, there's a lot of banks yep. looking for depositors out there. Yep. Uh, David, you were going to say, um, we, we have, NACB that's not talked about enough, I don't think, an advisory board. What this advisory board consists of are professionals outside of the blindness area. Um, For the most part, there's a couple, I think, that are blind on there, but for the most part, outside of the blindness area, they have expertise in in the the business of uh, communications, uh, funding. You know, that's how we picked up Bill Reader. We actually pulled him on staff from the advisory board. Um, I think so it's Bill, that, that we Bill Reader look- is working for us now, David. Is that right? Well, yes and no. If you look at what we pay him uh, for what he's worth, no, he took a he took a very reduced salary for a, a, a maximum of three years, so that we could bring in some people to learn the development business. Uh, then fortunately we, we've got people back full time where they belong, uh, working for ACB, uh, like Jolene Bailey page who does an excellent job at grant writing. Uh, she's also working on the development side. And then we picked up Kobe. And if, 
if Kobe is going to be a great learner, but what she really brought to that area of our organization is so much enthusiasm and in. If you were at leadership, you got to see some of that firsthand. Uh, but Bill Reader is on. You know, we can't talk about salaries, but let's just say around twenty-five percent of the cost of a development person. Yep. Um, but and 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 really has has had, I think, a tremendous impact on on the way we do our development work now. He he has. But but back to what you're talking about, I think that that this is something that I'm hearing so much about myself personally, and then having it brought up here tonight, I, I really think it's something we really need to push forward. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we do it through uh, bringing it to the board, or if we do it through resolution, um, there again, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of of resolution directives. Because sometimes they can't happen as fast as as people think they can. But you know, with with a proper time limit and, and saying look into the feasibility of something to that effect rather than you will do, because you will do don't always work, <laughs> uh, as we found out. But uh, I, I think it's it's something that could be beneficial to our membership and and beneficial to our organization because if, uh, for example, you went into Starbucks and you flashed your ACB discount card, uh, it not only would get you a discount, but it could expose other people. What is ACB? You know, I never refer to, unless I'm speaking, to the American Council of the Blind as anything but ACB. There's a reason for that. I want people to ask me, what is ACB? Then you get to give your three-minute elevator speech and, and everything yep. Uh, works out. It, it's an opening. So, yeah, I, I think there's uh, far more benefits than risks to it. So, David, inquiring minds want to know, your term as treasurer is up in July. Are you planning to walk away from ACB and, and, and that's that? Well, if, if the membership uh, will still honor me with letting me serve, I would like to be the next first vice president. Um, as you know, Ray Campbell is serving in that position right now, but he announced at the board meeting he was going to drop back and run for his third term as second vice president. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I still have a lot to offer the organization. And, uh, you know, for you people that don't know me out there and you want to vote for me, just think of your voting for Rhonda's husband. Um, yeah. <laughs> not, a bad, not a bad connection uh, there. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but uh, you know, Rhonda and I talked about this a lot because we do put a lot of time in ACB. Somebody said, when are you guys going to quit? And we said, when it quits being fun. Mm -hmm. uh, fun sometimes is 11, 12, 1 o'clock board meetings, but it's fun. Uh, mm -hmm. It's fun because I get to do some of the things that I feel like help better the lives of my fellow blind people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that ACB offers we haven't talked about the work we do to better the lives of the blind is not just ACB blind. It's all blind. Yep. So if we... We have a uh, limited amount of time left now, Paul. And yes. I want to ask a couple of financial questions. I don't know why you don't then. I think I will. David, 
what does ACB know about the financial health of its affiliates? You know, very little. Uh, I, I know you're shocked that I'm going to come straight out with it, but I've always uh, wanted to be up front, and, and I'm hoping it sends a message. Uh, we could be, we don't want your money, affiliates. What we want yeah. to know, though, is... Yes, you do. How are, well, we'd like to have some of it. <laughs> but what we'd really like to know is, how are you protecting it? How did you survive through the pandemic when the, or even now, you know, when the stock market is so volatile? Uh, are you being able to control your your gains and, and losses, that kind of thing? We we would really like to know in order that if you need help, uh, Nancy and team and some of us uh, that especially the former treasurers, Brian, Carla, me, Mike Godino, some of us, you know, might be able to help you with with the situations that you may find yourself in. So you know, we I were would... talking earlier about this problem of affiliates feeling like we're butting into their business. But really, ACB is only as healthy as its affiliates. And health is a financial question as much as anything else. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's so great that you have more members. But if you have a lot of members, but you've got $5 and your treasurer hasn't filed forms for six years, that's a serious serious health problem it is but if if affiliates wanted to ask for assistance what what's the way they do it david my my thinking is they would depend on the kind of assistance they wanted and they can kind of direct how they're answered uh i would call the minneapolis office again through that same 800 uh phone number and I would say, you know, I'd really like to talk to David Trot. My, they can give my number out. I've, I've told them, you know, they can get my phone number out. Uh, they can get my email out. Um, we're here at whatever level you need. If, if, you're, if you've got a 501c3 question, I would direct that question straight to Nancy Becker uh, because it's, it's her goal to have <laughs> all 501c3s current and working properly. So she's going to give you that assistance or direct you in what you need to do. And she's our chief financial officer, yes? Yes, an excellent chief financial officer. Uh -huh. so I think that's a, a something that people need to understand, that this is not all about ACB's books. It's about all of our affiliates and their books and assuring that they're getting whatever help they need to to stay on the straight and narrow when it comes to their fiduciary responsibility or responsibilities. Second one is, how's ACB's finances, David? How are we doing relative to uh, what the board expected at this point? Ahead of what the board expected, lower than I would like, but it's, it's still great. You know, when I came on board, we had a little over a million dollars in assets. Um, Taking credit, but really not. Uh, <laughs> we're right now, even with the with the unrealized losses we got, we're still at about four point five million dollars. Um, we're in good shape, but now I did hit on something. I said unrealized. You understand? It sounds to people, and I think this is where a lot of resentment comes in. Well, the national sitting on all this money. Why don't they turn it? You know, send it down. 
we're sitting on all this money for the future of ACB. A lot of that money is in our legacy endowment, <laughs> and we have an annual draw on that. But I want to touch on unrealized losses. Uh, we're down about $700,000. That sounds bad in theory. In reality, though, it only becomes bad if we pull that money tomorrow. Uh, if we wait till it goes back up, uh, it was kind of weird down in, during the pandemic. In 2020, we were down $900,000. And in March of 21, we were up $300,000. So it's, it's a very volatile market right now. And we have an excellent group of a uh, company that handles our investments. Then we have an investment committee. Uh, and we have investment guidelines in place to protect your money. Because it is your money as the membership. You know, it's it's not mine. I didn't benefit from it uh, other than the same way you do. And uh, it's it's there. And, and the company that's done it, our investment committee, and especially Nancy Becker keeping a good close eye on it, has really helped us weather this storm well. We ended up as ACB doing a number of interesting things over the years. Um, our thrift store operation went from more than a dozen stores down to how many now? Two? Two. Two. And, uh, and that sounds bad, and it is bad, but, but now, you know, let's, let's go back to the days of a dozen stores. We, we were doing right at, what, Paul, a million dollars a year in profits? Yes, sir. Uh, you take that with a dozen stores. Um, the, the, uh, the word I'm hunting here, the environment changed in a lot of these places. You know, the automobile industry went to heck in, in Detroit. We had three stores there. Uh, they're gone. Louisville, Kentucky was one of our best stores, uh, because of a change in neighborhood environment, uh, and not finding, you know, anywhere that we all felt comfortable moving it. Uh, it was gone. The, the Knoxville store uh, was a big contributor for years. It's gone. Uh, and we could go on and on with it's gone. But the, the, I said all that to say this. We have two stores now. Now, remember with 12, we were bringing in about a million. With the two, we're bringing in close to 400,000. So we're doing as well as we've ever done with what we have. Uh, unfortunately, and this didn't happen overnight. You know, it wasn't a pandemic. This has happened over the last, uh, what, 17, 18 years, Paul? Yes, that long. Absolutely. So, and, and we're looking actually now at possibly opening another thrift store. Uh, Chris, uh, I cannot think of his last name. We brought him on board. He's an expert. He's, he's, man, he's managed million-dollar thrift stores. He's managing our thrift stores. He's bringing us back up. He's, he's keeping a daily eye on what we're doing and, and we're really coming ahead and he's doing a cost analysis of what it costs for us to open the third store. I, I, the only reason I even brought that up is times change. And at one point thrift stores were, uh, you know, the blood of ACB. It, it, it was where the money came from, but there was a time where thrift stores were the exact opposite the stores were losing more money than they were bringing in and we had to take pretty draconian action 
in order to plug that leak, ACB ended up loaning ACBES money to operate so that uh, its books would, would work out properly. So the fact that it's once again on the rise is a good thing. But the other yeah. thing that's on a big rise is corporate donations. Right. That, that didn't exist back in the day for us no, anyway. It, uh, but it does now. It, it does. And that started, well, actually the Blindness corp- Corporation started the giving. And we made a couple of missteps along the way. But by the time uh, Mitch was two or three years in, we started to build a few. Uh, when we brought Eric Bridges on board, it it blew apart, blew up. I mean, we just really started getting them. But, you know, some of that was over um, structured negotiations that once settled that we can't even talk about today because they're under non-disclosure agreements. We got money from those. And that was great at the time. And that'd be good if you could do, you know, 15 or 20 of those years. It'd be great. But what it did, it also built relationships. You know, I, I give you credit for bringing to me that day, Brian, that what would happen if the Microsofts and the Amazons of the world, of course, then, you know, they were somebody else, uh, mm-hmm. came to us for our advice. And we're at that stage now. Uh, and, and it came out of some of these structured negotiations and the way we handled it and the way we settled, you know. Um, but now we're getting donations and we, we have sponsors from banks. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is, is probably the biggest one there. Um, there's a phone system we worked with, Brian, that became accessible. You might know the name of it. I, I'm not familiar. That's not my area of expertise, so I don't know which one it was. But it made the phones that a lot of businesses use accessible to blind people. Yes, indeed. And, and I that can't remember the name of it myself right now, but yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the work we do with, with advising Amazon, and by the way, you can advise Amazon, all you members out there. If there's something you want uh, the A-lady to do, or if there's something she's not going to do right, go to amazon.com slash accessibility and make your feelings known. Uh, they had a big presence this year at CSUN. And a lot of this stuff is coming about because we made it happen, not directly, but indirectly through either members like Brian working with different things or uh, Eric's uh, stru- structured negotiations or even his corporate sponsorship ask because he wasn't scared to ask. So let's let's pause for a second because I always like to explain stuff when we go by it. So structured negotiation is a a method for trying to persuade companies to do things that they're not doing uh, by using a a series of steps, and they 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 were designed by two lawyers out in uh, Berkeley, California, Um, and. there is a there is a book available certainly on Bookshare. I'm not sure if it's on Bard on structured negotiation, which folks are welcome to download. And I believe take a look it is. At if they'd like to, I think I it believe is. it's on Bard. Yeah, it's on Bard as well. I Thank believe you. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, sorry, David, but I, I I always like to be sure people know what we're talking about, and that and that keeps us in a lot of times out of the court system. Yes. Uh, 
you know, it, it's a good way to go about it, and, and it's worked well for ACB. Uh, I'm going to give you a little And over- for some affiliates as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about money. Give you a, a little bit of a breakdown of where our money comes from. About 17% comes from our membership. That is extremely good when you consider 70% of blind people are either unemployed or uh, uh, unemployed or underemployed. I'll get that right in a minute. Um, 17%. About 19% comes from grants, and that's growing. Uh, We had the biggest grant year ever last year, about $150,000 in grants. Um, We, you know, uh, we're moving forward, but there again, it goes back to data. We need data. And uh, then let's see, the thrift stores are at about 20%, 15, 20% of our income. Um, requests are now down low, um, maybe 5% of our income. And, you know, the rest comes from corporate sponsorships and, and uh, foundations. So we're doing quite well. Uh, there was a time that we lived off request and you could have a bad year like we're having this year or a good year if you're the one that's requesting the money because you're still here. But, um, you know, you, you, you cannot live off request. And I preached that for years and it's came about, we've made the changes that we needed to make. And there again, uh, if you look at stuff like the ACB auctions, and the community fund, ever how they say it at the end of the year, um, you're looking at a, a large increase in the money. The community of fund brings in about $12,000 a year. That's new. Uh, the auctions have went from the Christmas auction, somewhere ten twelve thousand dollars $12,000. This last year was about $38,000. Uh, the summer auctions had dropped down. They were doing 15 or 16. They did 40. You know, so you guys as as members are doing a great job at helping us to move forward. Um, you, you really are. Uh, and and it's it's known, you know, it's it's noticed. But we do not pat ourselves on the back. So I'm here tonight to say give you a attaboy because, you know, without you, these auctions would still be you know, one option would still take, both options would take in less than one would have 10 years ago. David, you talked hey. earlier about um, about the, the, the fact that some of our funds are sequestered. That is, they, they can't be immediately used by the ACB board for to spend on whatever you guys want. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, we have three basic funds. We have the the board reserve, we have the endowed fund, endowed fund, and then we have the legacy endowment. Uh, the legacy endowment is a percentage of bequests that we get goes into the legacy. Uh, you can only draw a certain percentage of the growth. The endowed fund is uh, for the DKM, scholarships, uh, that kind of thing. If, if uh, for example, we've got the endowed for, fund for DKM. You know, they used to sell you tickets every year uh, and used to do things to raise money. It's, it's self-perpetuating now. You know, we don't do that anymore. Uh, the scholarships, of course, 
we get scholarships in every year. Uh, a certain amount of those scholarships are from that endowed fund. And that's, you know, that's what they were put. They were given to ACB for the whatever scholarship. And so that's all they can be used for. Uh, the board reserve fund is for the day-to-day -day operations of ACB. But considering it's at, let's say, the last time I looked, about $1,750,000. Uh, $1, um, if, if you look at that, you say, well, great, ACB's got money. Well, they don't because it has to be spent in a rational manner. Uh, for example, it's used for payroll, for rent, uh, for the anything, any expenses of today, today, operations of ACB, and in order to draw from that fund, Nancy has to have board approval, and it's in a certain amount. Let's see, I made the motion at the last board meeting to give her access to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, Nancy, being a good, uh, responsible CFA, CFO, uh, she. She don't draw $250,000 the day we approve it. She'll draw $20,000 here and five there as needed because we do have income coming in. And so what we try to do is avoid her drawing any money down from that because of our day-to-day -day income. But she needs insurance because if we don't get a convention sponsor in time to make payroll, then she has to be able to draw down to make payroll. That kind of thing. So that's the the three basic funds of ACB. And to tell you that if you're thinking about running for treasurer, the one unique thing about our treasurer, we don't handle any money. It's it's all done through the different ways of our investments or through the CFO. David, but, uh, what go ahead, was Brian. the what was the latest budget that ACB board approved, what was the profit and loss on the proposed adopted budget? Uh, the, the actual, the profit and loss was a loss. And I want to say $280,000. So the anticipated income is $250,000 or so below what the expected expenses are going to be for the organization how did we do last year you know how close was the budget to being on target last year well uh I, by last year you mean uh, 2021 yes okay in 2021 we we had a negative budget again of about two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but we actually ended up with a net profit of $200,000. That's what I wanted people to hear. That and a budget then, is, is not, it's a guesstimate. Yeah. Based it, on it, history. It's, it's based right. on history. And, and it's also, it's a roadmap for our people who can make expenditures. We have committees that spend money each year, you know, uh, for them, you had Gene on earlier, MMS, for example. We have a budget every year. And so we're going to give away, um, we're going to give away some, some big gift cards rather than doing a daily prize this year. Uh, we're going to do three, you know, 350 or 300 and then 
250 and then two 100s, I think. Don't hold me to <coughs> that. That money comes out of the budget. And what happens is um, that's to put there to keep the committee from saying, okay, you've got a $1,000 allotment, so that's your land that you go back. It, then the committee can't come in and vote and say, oh, no, we're going to spend $1,600, $1,700. If they, it's not to say they can't do that, but they've got to come and get the board to open the budget and approve it if they do. Um, it, it helps the office and staff know with the projects that they're putting together, are they going to be able to fund those projects? Uh, it, it's, it's really a roadmap. But, but in, right. in bottom line, it's a guesstimate based on our past work. And it's, it's adopted in what they call the aggregate, is it not? That yeah. is, that we, you know, we're saying this is how much money is we expect to spend. This is how much we expect to raise. But we're not going to hold you to this amount in this particular line item. That if that one's a little over and another one's a little under, it, it all balances out at the end. Right. Exactly. That's great. So That's you a have a, go ahead. We've had some good budget managers. Nancy's done an excellent job. Uh, Eric did a, did a great job. Uh, we we even had uh, employees that we couldn't replace for a while. We would set up a time of the year. You know, we don't just say, okay, uh, you know, let's say that uh, Tom Tobin had retired as, as our resource and development person. We don't just say, okay, we're going to replace Tom now. We look at how much we need Tom and when do we need that effort. And that's when, the, you know, you would re, uh, repost that job and put it out there and hire somebody. Gotcha. Now, there are fixed expenses, things, you know, I, I remember many, many a year, we'd get to the fourth quarter of the year and we'd be, you know, the, the, the tank would be dry. And we'd be forced into things such as uh, layoffs or or what what do they call that when you reduce how much you pay and you reduce how many hours people do furloughs that kind of thing yeah uh, but we also always knew that there were certain expenses that were simply going to be there rent would be one of them you can't simply say it's the fourth quarter we're not going to pay so much for rent because you have a lease. Uh, that you're obligated to spend and those kinds of things. So when we talk about ACB's biggest fixed expenses, does it remain things like the lease of our, our two offices, Minneapolis and uh, Virginia? Yeah, yes. And, and I'll expand that now with, with the legacy endowment. Uh, one of the things that I look at as a fixed expense now would be staff because we have so much going. For example, we, we could not do without a grant writer right now. Uh, we've got grants in, in the pipeline and somebody has to have the knowledge uh, to, to deal with the grants that we have in the pipeline. So, so they become a fixed expense. Um, and then you have weird years like this where, uh, the Department of Education up in Virginia, where our office is, on that building, 
and they decided to remodel it. Well, we had a lease with them. So what they did, they gave us three or four months rent, which sounds great. You know, we're going to save money on the budget, right? Wrong, because we have to relocate. Uh, and we're in the process of doing that now. Um, actually came out to the good for us. I think we're going to have a better office location. It's going to fit our new ways of doing business because, you know, pre-pandemic, 95% of our staff was in office. And that's not the case anymore. So, you know, all this stuff is, has to be uh, really looked at and you have to be able to adapt. Well, we certainly did adapt when it came to the Braille Forum, didn't we? Uh, we were always getting ourselves into a situation in that fourth quarter where the only thing we could simply say no to was an issue of the Braille Forum. Yep. And yep. we... And we and eventually switched to this every other month hard copy and every other opposite month uh, electronic only. Has that steadied out for ACB and its financial management? Well, it has and it hadn't because we were given a resolution last year, if you recall, to look at the feasibility of bringing back 12 issues of the forum, which we only had 11, I think, before. But... Um, we, we are researching that now. The, the BOP is. They're doing a good job with it. Um, a few years back, probably 2015, we, we did a drive to get people to switch from Braille or back then it was probably cassette or CD or large print over to the, e, you know, the electronic form of the Braille. Version, yeah. And we had a lot of success, and it saved us a lot of budget dollars but even doing that uh we're, we're still looking at fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars a year to produce the braille form as we do today so if you double that uh you know you you've got to to look at the cost there you've also got to look at things you've got to build in like large print guidelines um that will limit the number of pages uh, you know, because it's it, it gets sure. too thick and it also gets cost prohibitive, you know. But but other than that, uh, we're looking at you know, we we took the resolution serious and and we're looking to how we can move back to you know, full versions of the forum year round. So, Paul, I'm done asking financial questions, <laughs> very good. So I, I have um, really one more financial question to ask, and, and that is to talk uh, a little bit. Uh, you had talked about the, 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 the losses uh, that came because of the changes in, in the stock market last year um, and the year before, and, and, and frankly, this year as well. But there was a statistic that came out during the board meeting um, at the, at the recent board meeting that indicated that that if if we ignore the unrealizable or the unrealized well, costs, um, mm -hmm. ACB actually made a profit over the past three years. Is that right? Did I yeah, hear that right? That's correct. Yeah. And and um, that's because of the hard work of the membership. Uh, you know, when we came back on board last year, um, 
we didn't quite meet our goal of donations or sponsorships. But what we did do, we grew the auctions and we grew membership participation. Uh, the sponsorships, you know, the little sponsorships where you can do, what is it, 25 to $500? Yes. Yep. That actually grew. We raised, I want to say it was last year. It could have been 21, but I think it was last year. Almost $30,000 in sponsorships. And there again, it's member driven. Members are doing this, you know, because they believe in what we're all doing. They believe mm -hmm. in, in the direction of ACB and that's helped us. But the, the unrealized losses are there. You know, yes, we've lost $700,000 if we cash out today. But if we don't cash out today, then we're well ahead of the game. I think it's an, I think it's important for our members to know that the the way that our budget is being put together, um, if if the stock market is moving in the right direction, um, we are we're we're actually putting together budgets that are not only rational but they're they are essentially appropriate ones. So, Mister David, you have about two minutes left. Are there some final thoughts you'd like to share with members? Yeah, you know, what I'd like to say to you is look at the value you get from AC and share it with your friends. That's how you build membership. Um, you know, your value from ACB might be the local dinerama. Uh, and, and that's great, you know, because you get the socialization with other people like you that, that share your, your ideals of life and how you live it. Uh, look at the value you get from the national and it, it, for God's sakes, if you don't think you're getting any value from the national call some of us and let's talk about it and see mm -hmm. why you don't see that. If you're not, uh, we're not either. We're not getting the message out right or, you know, we're, so, we're truly missing the boat and we can't do that without hearing from you, uh, financially help what you can, but never hurt yourself. Uh, we don't want you spending a thousand dollars at the auction if your budget was five hundred. It's better to pass it by. Uh, you know, we we want you as a member to not only be comfortable with what you're doing, but to feel like what you're doing is beneficial to you and to others. Are you telling Brian to offer cheap cookies? <laughs> you know, I bought Brian's cookies the first year. After that, they got out of my price range. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Rhonda, uh, David's wife, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or Rhonda's husband is passing along the message here that Brian could send Rhonda some cookies. She's, she said she's a big bed, Brian. <laughs> uh, what can I say? <laughs> it's cookie cooking season. <laughs> it is. David, thank you so much for being with us this evening and talking about both membership and money. Uh, I, I think our folks have a much better idea of what's going on in ACB now than they did before. Um, I, I don't have, yep. I don't have a firm um, program for um, Tuesday topics uh, next week, uh, but I will by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another. So, um, watch your email, everybody on who is listening to find out where we are. I can tell you that 
two weeks from tonight, we're going to have a a, a major Tuesday topics on uh, voting approaches this year, where we'll get a chance to talk about some of the way that our time is being spent uh, at at convention. So I hope that lots of you uh, will tune in to that program on the 11th. In the meantime, on behalf of uh, Larry, on behalf of Marianne, on behalf of Brian, and on behalf of Rick, this is Paul Edwards saying thank you so much for being a part of Tuesday Topics. Without all of you, this program would not be successful. Good night.